is he? I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm thankful for what God is doing. You know, we, uh, Tracy and I have uh, our three grandchildren with us this weekend. And um, I don't maybe I'm just getting older. But I don't remember that much energy to, to chase after these little ones. But it's a, it's a blessing that they're with us and we're, we're thankful that they're here. And uh, what, a, what a joy it is. And speaking of little ones, um, I want you to know that we have a need um, in the nursery. And we need some people to uh, volunteer to help watch the little ones. Um, it, it, it's a blessing that, that God entrusts those little ones to us. Uh, but we need people to step up and, and kind of volunteer to do that. Maybe a husband and wife team. Maybe, um, you know, uh, whoever. But... Um, and I, I want to give this to you real straight. Um, we need somebody to do this next week, okay? So um, think about this. The ones that are normally in there and that have been gracious and, and have been willing to serve are going to children's camp, and they're going to be gone next Sunday. And so we need some people to step up and to fill in those slots. And so uh, I got a couple right up there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. Um, Excuse me? Uh, both. Sunday school and church, yes. And um, if, if you would uh, just visit with Casey uh, at some point or call her or get a hold of her, she would be glad to plug you into uh, that slot that is needed. But it's an ongoing thing, uh, and we need more workers in that area. So if, if you want to serve in that area, that would be a great thing. You know, your best friend always tells you the most truth. And I want you to know that I love you. And I love you with all my heart. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to curl your toes back in. I'm not going to be uh, doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I, I want you to know that the passage that we are covering today is, is one that, that Paul uh, writes. And it's some very practical stuff. And the reason that I, I bring that to you this morning is so that we can be uh, not only instructed in, in what God's Word says but also that we can be reminded for those of us that it maybe it's been a little while. And for some of us, we just need to be encouraged. We, we know what it says and, and we know how to, how to do that, but we just need to be encouraged in that. So, so know that I love you and I, I want to, to uh, present this to you today as a call for Christian conduct. Because we need that. We need to be reminded of that. And uh, we're in this, this series, um, The Practice of Genuine Religion. And, and you know, you, you may think, well, I, I'm more about the relationship than I am religion. But, but think of it this way, the practice of genuine faith. Or the, the practice of genuine conviction. Of those things that you believe, those core values that, that hold you together. Okay, when we talk about faith, we're talking about uh, faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about what that looks like. And Paul gives us a great picture of that in, in Romans chapter 12. Last week we talked some about the consecration, excuse me, the consecration uh, and, and our consecration of, of dedicating ourselves to God. And sometimes as we look at Scripture, we see the, the, the mountain peak Scriptures, you know, those, those real high ones that, that everybody talks about and everybody preaches on. And really Romans 12, 1 and 2 
um, is, that, is that kind of mountain peak scripture. But what follows is some very practical stuff that Paul gives us so that we can live out our faith, so that we can live as believers in this world. And I, I love that because the, 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 the parallel, the corollary that goes with dedication is one of Christian conduct, of God's love toward other people. I mean, isn't that what we need more of, is God's love towards other people? I mean, we live in a selfish society, and, and, and you know, it, it, it helps us when we recognize what God's Word says about the way we live our lives in relation to others. And, and I want to read this passage, and, and um, this passage is, it presents, if you will, characteristics, characteristics of the new person in Christ. So when Christ comes into your life and, and you are transformed by Him, the old is gone, the new has come. This is what the new should look like. Okay, and, that, and that's really what Paul is saying here. And, and I want to read in, in Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible and would turn there uh, with me. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. And um, it's kind of a lengthy passage, but I want to I read through the, the rest of this chapter. And then um, we will talk about it some. But uh, let's read, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 12 of Romans. Paul writes this, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion, excuse me, proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, Fervent in spirit, uh, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, don't, do not be haughty in mind. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take, a, uh, excuse me, never take for your own revenge. Never take your own revenge, 
beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word speaks to us and how it instructs us. But Father, also how it transforms us. I ask even now that your Holy Spirit would drag to the light in our hearts those things that should not be there. Those things that maybe are not right with you. Those areas where we've been selfish or have not forgiven others. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts, that you would guide us into all truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. See, the first thing that we see after we fully give ourselves to God is that our Christian transformation produces humility. (laughs) The reason I say that is because we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. We didn't deserve that. And so in that, it should cause us to have a sense of humility. And really, all people are important in God's sight. Jesus Christ died for everyone. For all. See, we're we're all immoral souls for whom Christ died. So the, 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 the playing field at the foot of the cross is level. So no one is any better than anyone else. We all come from the same evil root, if you will. An evil nature comes from Adam through creation. Not not God's creation, but, but through sin in the garden. And the fall caused us to be born into sin. And therefore, we are all sinners and all immoral souls for whom Christ died. But God in His sovereign grace... He pours His grace out for us. He gives us salvation as a gift through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, we are to value ourselves and the gifts which He gives us, but we're not to overvalue ourselves in relation to one another. We're to value those, but not to put them above someone else. I mean, one person is important to God but is equally important as every other person to God. See, he loves us so very much. See, Paul knew the temptation of pride. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he talks about the fact that he had a a thorn in his flesh, that he prayed and asked God to remove from him, but he, he prayed to ask him to remove it from him, but God would not remove it from him because it kept him from exalting himself. Oh, that's all we see in the news these days. That's all we see in the media is people exalting themselves. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look how great I am. Look at all of this. And that is exactly what Paul is saying 
Don't overestimate who you are or where you came from. I think that's huge. Because of God's gracious gifts to him, Paul knew the temptation. And Paul warned the saints to think objectively about themselves and about one another. Because you see, this transformation produces humility, but it also produces unity. I love this. In verses 4 through 8, he talks about this. Cooperation, you know, uh, uh, being together. In, In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body of Christ, having many members and being one body. And the one body of Christ, while Christ is the head of that body, he is the one who is guiding it. He is the one who is the the force behind his church, behind his body. But you see, each believer, each and every one of us who call on the name of Jesus for our salvation, we have been given gifts and we're all part of the body, even as a physical body, that this hand is part of my body. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are not all of the body of Christ. Together, collectively, we are the body of Christ. But just because I happen to be standing in front does not mean that I am more important than anyone else in the body. Where would my, where would my body be without my eye? Where would my body be without my hand? I happen to be right-handed. This hand takes care of a lot of things for this body. But you see, each member of the body is equally important to Christ's body in that way. Where would you be without your foot or your big toe? Where would you be in in, in all of these things? Where's the body of Christ if we are not all members working together for his kingdom? You see, it brings unity All members are to cooperate with the other members, obeying Christ as the head. See, every gift is important to God, and it's given for service. But here's the problem. We like Netflix and chill too much. When it comes down to it, we don't want to serve. We want to kick our feet back. It's hot outside. Anybody notice that? Somebody say amen. It's hot outside. And it's nice to come into the air conditioning and kick your feet up. But there's also people who need to be served. There's service that needs to take place each and every day, each and every week. And the thing is, is you know, we, we think that somehow in the body, someone else is going to do it. I'm glad... That my hand doesn't wait for my foot to comb my hair. What's left of it. It may not do that great a job. It may do what's necessary. But it may not do that great of job. Because the hand has been trained to do that. It's been gifted in that way. Not like my foot. My foot is gifted in walking. I could not walk very far on my hands. Some people can. I'm not, I don't have that equilibrium, the balance, you know what I mean? Because if I was turned this way, my stomach would make me top heavy. It wouldn't work. But we're, we, we, this Christian transformation, it, it produces unity. But it also produces ministry. Look at what he says in verse 6. In verse 6 he says, 
Since we have these have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. And he talks about prophecy. He gives a, a list here. Uh, you know, if, if our gift is preaching, let's preach to the limit of our vision then. Let's, let, let, let's, let's be all that we can for that. If our, if our gift is speaking God's message, then we must do it according to the faith that we have. But you see, many times we want to shrink back and we want someone else to do that. I mean, think about it. You were introduced to Christ by somebody who shared the gospel with you. Folks, we need to be about sharing the gospel. The one who speaks God's message must do it according to the faith that they have. I mean, God has given us what we need. We just need to, to, to get after it. Or as Mrs. Burris used to say in, in Willow Grove, she said, Ridge, you just need to back your ears and do it. I wasn't sure what that meant. I guess it means just put your head back and go. Do what you need to do. He also says about ministering. He says if, if service here, if service is your gift, then, then in your serving you need to do that accordingly. And the word for ministering here means deacon service, but it's used here in the sense of all Christian service. So anything that we do for the glory of God, that we need to do that as God has given us that gift. He says in teaching... You know, Jesus was a great teacher. And, and, and he, was, he was more than that, but he was a great teacher. And the Sermon on the Mount might also be called Teaching on the Mount because the Bible says that he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. He was teaching them. And if a person's gift is teaching, then he or she should be dedicated to teaching. I mean... Go all in with whatever the gift is that God has given you. You know, I see quite a few sick people over the course of a month, over the course of a year. And for years, I prayed that God would give me the gift of healing. To be able to pray over someone and, 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 and to see them rise up and be healed. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about for the masses. I'm not talking about having a, being able to, 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 to wave my hand and have everybody fall down in the spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about praying over somebody uh, 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 quietly in, 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 the, in the confines of a, ho- of a, a hospital room and, and, and praying over them and, and seeing them be made whole. And this is what the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. He said, Ridge, God has given you the gift of proclamation. God has given you a double portion of faith. God has gifted you in prayer, and you're not using any of those gifts to their full potential. Why would he give you the gift of healing? Man, that went through me like a, like a, like a, a bullet. Man, I, I just felt in front of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know what? I need to exercise the gifts that he's given me. And I need to exercise them fully. And that's what I'm telling you. Each according to what God has given us. We need to exercise those. 
I love this because he goes on and he says, verse 8, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. And, and exhorting is really stimulating the faith of others. How would you, would you talk about that as stimulating the faith of others? It's, it's encouraging others' faith. Being able to encourage other people in faith. It may be praying for them. It may be just uh, giving them a pat on the back. It may, be, it may be giving them an attaboy or a word of encouragement. But the idea is how do you stimulate faith in other people? Folks, that is a huge ministry to exhort others. He also goes on and says giving. He who gives with liberality and, and, and really, uh, that, that literally means with simplicity. He who gives with simplicity. See, here's our problem. We think that what God has given us is ours. So therefore, when we give it, we want it to be used in the way that we give it. Rather than giving it back to God and saying, this belongs to you, we say, well, I want you to do this, this, and this, and this with it. And so it's our way of having control over what we have given to God. I'm going to tell you right now, you might as well keep it. You might as well keep it. Because as long as it's yours, you can do anything you want to with it. But when you give it to God, you relinquish control. And you say, God, use this. And what he's saying there is he's saying, he who gives, let him give with simplicity. And it probably means something like single-minded purpose to glorify God. Lord, you use this in any way you want. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about money. It doesn't matter if we're talking about our time. It doesn't matter if we're talking about our talents. Whatever you give to him, give it to him with simplicity. With no strings attached. Say, Lord, use this for your glory. You know, Thayer's lexicon, it says this. It says, openness of heart manifesting itself by benefactions, liberality, free from pretense and hypocrisy folks that's how we need to give no matter what it is with an open hand letting God receive the glory for that in verse 8 he talks about ruling or, or actually leading the word is leading and, and that, that older earlier word uh, literally means the one who stands in front and what he's saying here is if you are leading others then do it with diligence See, I've, I've heard people say things like, well, um, I'm doing this because they couldn't find anybody else to do it. Shame on you. Shame on you. If God has given you that, if he has given you influence, if he has given you leadership, then step up to the plate and, and do a good job with it. Don't just sit back and say, well, just whatever happens, happens. That's not the way it is supposed to be. What he is saying is, brothers and sisters, you're in the church in Rome. Here's what you need to do. You need, if, you're, if you're a leader, then be a leader. And be a great one for the Lord. Do it with diligence. Put in the time. Do it with eagerness. 
And folks, this is a good word. This is a good word for us, I want to say, who are moderators, who are teachers, who are Sunday school teachers, who are those who are leading others, pastors. We need to lead with diligence, with faithfulness, with eagerness. And he also says here in showing mercy, you know, Brother John, he laughs. He says, I don't think mercy is my gift. You know, because he can, he, he's, he, he's straight up. He'll tell you right where he's at. He's not the one to, to you know, coddle you. Oh, it'll be all right. That's not John. I don't know how Roxanne puts up, when he, puts up with him. But I know this. God has given people in the body the gift of mercy. And when we do that, we need to do that with compassion. We need to, mercy is to perceive people's hurts and gently and lovingly console them. I'm so thankful when I'm down, when I'm hurting, for people that have the gift of mercy. We need that. It's a wonderful thing. Now, as we're, as we're moving through this passage, notice that in, in 9, uh, Paul kind of turns and, and, and really he gives this practical how-to guide on God-like love. The love that God gives. And, and, and he gives us these practical things that we can do. Because, see, a transformed Christian will exhibit sacrificial love. That's love without hypocrisy. See, biblical agape love is not what is put out there in the media, in television, and all these other places that our people, our, our fellow countrymen, are grabbing onto hook, line, and sinker. Okay? Biblical agape love is the love that is a choice. For better or for worse. It's a love that we choose to love others. Even as God chose to love us while we were yet sinners. It's not something that we can just be flippant about. You see, agape love is the love of serving with humility. Even when it's not convenient. Even when we may not feel like it. Even when we're uncomfortable. Even when we feel like we're out of our comfort zone. But it, it's, it's love that is serving with humility. And folks, this is the highest kind of love there is. It's the kind of love that Christ gave for us. It's the noblest kind of devotion. And, 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 and the love of, it, it's the love of the will, of being intentional about it. See, most of the time we just want to be left alone. Don't obligate me to do anything. I want to do what I want to do. But I don't want to do anything else. I'm so glad that Jesus did something else. I'm so glad that Jesus was intentional about going to the cross. That there was a conscious choice. That it was, Father, if there's any other way, I would, I would want to do that. But if this is the only way to do it, then I will go to the cross and I will die for the sin of all humanity. And in that, he was obedient to the Father. But folks, this is the kind of love that is not motivated by the superficial. It's not motivated by emotional attraction or some sentimental relationship. It is love that is a choice, that is with intention. And folks, that's the kind of love that Christ has for us. 
And that's what this kind of love, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Because you see, love is synonymous with God's will. God desires us and he loves us. And we're supposed to have the same attitude that God wants us to have accompanied by the appropriate action. But so many times, we love those who love us. We love those who have something for us. We love those who can do something for us. Rather than loving someone who can do nothing for us. See, love clings to what is good and turns away from evil. And God's will toward people is always goodwill. I love that. It's truly a mark of Christian maturity. When we can rejoice in honors that come to others more than when they come to ourselves. Have you been genuinely happy for someone else? You know, they, they, maybe they, they come across something, they got a windfall of some kind. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm just so happy for you. Man, what a joy that is. That's really what he's talking about. You're loving that person when you rejoice with them and they're rejoicing. When you weep with them and they are weeping, you are loving them. Notice also in verse 11, he says, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. (laughs) Don't be slack. Don't be slack and, and lazy in your work for God. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? We fall behind and we think, well, somebody else will do it. Folks, you have to keep those spiritual fires stoked. Put another log on the fire. Stir it up a little bit because otherwise you're going to go out. We need that. We need to stay fervent. In a, he says, not lagging behind in diligence. Someone has defined laziness this way. The tendency to remain where we are in life instead of moving to where we could and should be. If you're going to be ambitious, be ambitious for the Lord. Do that. You know, with that definition, I mean, who among us isn't lazy? I mean, we we, we all have a tendency toward that. You know, if you know that you lack and you want to get back, then you can't slack. I didn't come up with that myself, by the way. If you know that you lack and you want to get back, then you can't slack. It's going to take more effort to catch back up. But you know what we have? We have a term for believers who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And we call it a backslider. We're sliding back. And if you slack, if you lack and you want to get back, you can't slack. you got to get with it. And really, that's what he's saying here. Don't be lagging behind in diligence. You see, optimism. Optimism is a great quality of Christian maturity. You think about this. 
He says there in verse 12, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. John Stott says that Christ ones, followers of the Messiah, those who are true believers should be the most positive people in the world. We cannot mope around the place with a a, a drooping hangdog expression. We cannot drag our way through life moaning and groaning. We cannot always be looking on the dark side of everything, being negative prophets of doom. No. We exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We ought to be the happiest, most positive people on earth. Because we're not going to get what we deserve. In his mercy, in his grace, he has pulled us out of the pit and set our feet on the rock of Christ Jesus and has saved us and sealed us for all eternity. We got a reason to be happy, to rejoice. So many times, man, we look like we, you know, been sucking on a lemon or something. Eating sour persimmons. Just draw your face up. But you see, base your happiness on the hope that you have in Christ. Not on the stuff, not on the things of this world, not on how many Facebook likes you get. That's not your happiness. Your happiness is that you're not going to get what you deserve. That you've been redeemed and saved for all eternity. The joy that we should have in that should cause us to beam with excitement. Just to not be able to stop smiling. We ought to have permagrin. Just looking like we just ate the, 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 the canary. Just all the time. I'm not going to get deserve. That makes me happy. Because I know what I deserve. And you do too. You see, Jesus Christ has done that for us. He says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. I love that because it's talking about persevering in tribulation. He's talking about patience. And sometimes we are the most impatient people. Sometimes we can be the most impatient people. We have all eternity and we are the most impatient people. Put up with a little bit. Deal with it. As Tim Rudolph says, build a bridge and get over it. Because the thing is, is we are not getting what we deserve. And we, we need this optimism, this, this patience. And he also talks about being prayerful. You know, a couple of highlights that I have every week. One is our Wednesday evening prayer meeting. Gathering together. And another one is our Tuesday morning prayer meeting. I am very thankful to meet with the men that show up at 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning. And the reason I am is because they give me hope. As we pray together. And see, the problem is we don't pray enough together. 
And so what happens is we get out in the world and we get doing our own thing and we get focused on something and we get discouraged and we don't have anybody to pick us up. We don't have anybody to say, come on, Ridge, it's going to be all right. Get up and put the one foot in front of the other and keep going. But you know what? That's what those men on Tuesday morning do for me. I want men like that praying for me. I want men like that praying for this church. He goes through a lot here, and I'm running way out of time. But I, I, I know this, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover some things real quickly here that he says here, and, and uh, we'll, we'll try to do better next week, okay? But he talks about kindness. Being optimistic, but also kindness. Being helpful. Folks, we can be more helpful than we are. Many times we just don't want to extend ourselves. When Paul wrote this letter, he was on his way to Jerusalem, taking an offering to the poor saints in Judea. In verse 13, he talks about being hospitable. I mean, when public accommodations weren't what they are today, they didn't have hotels they could check into. They had to rely on the graces of others to take them into their home. And he's encouraging us as believers to be hospitable. To invite people in and to take care of them. You know, you, you read over in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 2. It says, Do not le- neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 1 Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. He also talks about in, in uh, 3 John... He talks about when we give to the needs of those who are coming through, who are carrying the gospel, then we have a stake in the truth that is going out. We have have part in that. We are fellow workers in that. But this kindness also goes towards our enemies. He says, bless those who curse you. I mean, that's what Jesus taught us to do. He also says to be sympathetic towards them, to rejoice with them, to weep with them. To live in harmony. But moving from sacrificial love now deeper, we have to move to a supernatural love. I mean, this is probably one of the most challenging things in the Word of God. This concept is so hard. I want to say it's not just hard, it's impossible. Because we can't love people The way God loves them. He has to love them through us. He says, Don't repay evil for any to anyone. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then he says to be careful to do what is right in the sight of all men. Folks, not only are we as Christians, supposed to be honest with God and before God, but we're supposed to be honest with other people. Sometimes people aren't that way. Sometimes believers aren't that way. You and I know that. Maybe in their business dealings. But we need to live with integrity. 
He also says, live at peace, if it possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Next to the importance of being reconciled to God is peace with one's fellow man. Folks, our relationships are important. The relationships that you have with one another, the relationship that you have with your neighbors, the relationship that you have with your coworkers, all of those are very important. And you know, the problem is, is we're bad at them. A lot of times we don't want to put forth the effort or we've put forth the effort and it's been snubbed or, or we've, we, you know, it's been scorned and, and spurned. And so we don't want to put forth the effort and we give up. What he is saying is live at peace with all men as much as it, uh, you know, is on you. Because think about this. Some people are not easy to live at peace with. Even God cannot live at peace with someone who doesn't repent of their sins. He says, so long as it depends on you, be at peace with them. You're never to take your own revenge. I mean, God's the judge. Give him some wiggle room. Let him do what he wants to do. And I throw this in there. Refuse to procrastinate in your service. It's easy for us not to do what we know we should do. But a dish of food sent in time of of bereavement or grief, a word of congratulations, a continued kindness to someone. Folks, we're going to be with each other all of eternity. Get to know each other. Get to loving on one another. The way God loves us. And I don't know who came up with this, but this really messed with me this week. We're doing little of eternal significance, and we call it enough. We put in our token time, and we call it commitment. I want to wrap this up. And as I do, I just want to share with you in Psalm 123, verse 2. It says, Behold... As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. You know, the servant is watching the master's hand so that if the master needs anything, anything, He can lift his hand, he can motion, and the servant is right there to take care of the need. I want to be that kind of servant. That I'm watching what the master is doing. I'm focused on his hands. So when I see he has a need, I can run to meet that need. And I want God to use me in that way to meet that need. And I believe you do too. But folks, it takes some intense and intentionality and focus for us to do that. We can't be looking at all the pretties. We can't be uh, distracted. We can't be thinking about, oh man, this sure is a a nice uh, silver pot that I'm pouring this tea out of. We've got to be focused on the master in order for us to see what the need is. He will direct it. He will guide us in that. 
But we, he needs to have our attention. And frankly, he doesn't have our attention. And I don't have your attention either. Because we're so comfort driven. The word of God shows us where we fall short. I mean, the bottom line is this. How do you want to be remembered? Because everybody around you is watching you. Everybody sees what you're doing. If you're all about the stuff and you're not about the relationship, they know that. You can't pull it over on people. We know. My hope is that you want to be remembered as a believer in Jesus Christ who loved other believers. I mean, that's what Jesus said. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our greatest testimony is how we love each other. See, love was very important to Jesus. It compelled him to give his life for us. And the goal for us is to be like Christ. I mean, he loves us so much, he wants us to... I want to I ask you right now, this morning, to think about and to identify in your life those relationships that you could grow a little more in love towards? Could it be a relative? Could it be a co-worker? Could it be a family member? Maybe a member of the body of Christ? Someone that you know you could be a little more intentional in your love for them and be Christ to them. Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. That we would be complete and mature, lacking nothing in Christ. We've got to make that commitment. We've got to focus on the master. We've got to focus on his hand. So that we can follow him when he reveals what he is doing. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you, Father, for how you guide us and how you lead us. I thank you for the challenging word that Paul puts out. And God, I recognize that we need you every hour. Father, we desperately need you. I thank you, Father, for how you draw us to yourself. I thank you for how you call us out, how you set us apart. I pray, Father, that in this moment, in this time, that 
for those who may have drifted away, fallen back. Father, that you would become front and center in their lives, in their hearts. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us with your your blessing. Father, that you would fill us with your truth. Father, that if we are lacking in some area, Father, that we would be right with you today. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for the time to worship you and Father, just a time to come back and to recenter our lives on you. And Father, I recognize that none of us are batting a thousand. Father, that we are we all fall short of your glory. I pray, Father, that in the time that remains together, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you praise and we give you honor. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.